0: Thank you. has to be earned and kept by a lethal combination of money and violence bad boys meet michael o'brien i don't want you to die nothing's gonna happen to me he loves jc and the excitement of being somebody that matters we're gonna be in and out of there so fast like that bad boys juvenile facility. That means you are not in charge of the zoo. We are.
1: Come on, let's go. Bad boys.
2: So how do you like it so far? Do your time clean and you walk. Any trouble? And you could grow old in here, Jack.
0: Yeah. There's only one person left who believes Mick O'Brien can make it. Mick O'Brien. Life has pushed him into a corner. And he's coming out fighting. Bad boys. In a detention center, time stands still. But O'Brien won't stand for the arrival of a sworn enemy. You
3: know, depending on who's gonna kill who, Moreno's the odds-on
0: favorite. He's gonna kill you. That's what he says. Oh, let me tell you something, Maricom.
3: You're already dead.
0: Bad Boys. A story of the survival of the fittest. Every day is a duel of strength against weakness.
1: Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late-night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Adam Walker, and joining me as always is Brandon Hayden and John Hoffman, and here we are, episode three. We're three deep into the new season, and it's been a it's been a real fun ride, so let's keep it going. Uh, just want to mention our sponsor for tonight. We're going to have sponsors each show. Thankfully, we've got people on board that want to fund the podcast, so tonight's sponsor is Funzie Onesies, Edible Underwear. When you're in the bedroom having funsies, we're the onesies. so check them out
3: get your fundies.
1: Um, get your fundy unsies um so also just off the top in case you know there's a lot of you that are probably not going to make it to the end of the episode we're going to plug some socials and plug some uh connects you want to get in touch with us email us at midnightflixpod at gmail.com send us your questions concerns commentary suggestions hate mail dick pics whatever uh, and then of course you can follow us on Instagram at midnight flicks podcast. Uh, I'm working on maybe doing, um, the Facebook. I kind of started it and then I had jumped ship from Facebook because it's awful and now I'm back. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll start it back up again. I don't know how much it's going to help. He's so back. Baby. He's back. <laughs> I don't know. It seems to help other people. We'll see. Doesn't hurt to try. I'm on there anyways now. Might as well. Okay. So tonight, it's John's pick. He's in the queue. And he picked Bad Boys, the Martin Lawrence Will Smith movie from 19... No, just kidding.
2: Fucking no, no, no. Dude, I'm not going to lie. You threw me the fuck off just now. I was like, wait, what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Didn't we have that discussion? We're like, what if we watch the wrong one? And then we all get on here like... (laughs) So, that part when Martin Lawrence is in the car (laughs) and like,
2: what? That would be unbelievable.
1: (laughs) No, uh, this is 1983's Bad Boys. And John, just going to hand it over to you. I want you to, hey, take the wheel, my man, on this one.
2: Right on, right on. Well, Bad Boys, in my opinion, an underrated classic. I didn't even realize this until I actually looked this up, but 1983 came out the year I was born. It's kind of cool. Ooh, that's cool. Um, directed by Rick Rosenthal. Um, he's got, he's got a number of, of films, but uh, the first one that I recognize very relevant to this podcast was Halloween Two. Yeah. Um, I saw that. Um, but yeah, Rick Rosenthal um, and uh, this movie stars Sean Penn, one of my favorite actors um, also alongside Isai Morales, who we'll, we'll get to talking about, um, Clancy Brown, a number of, of movies I've seen him in. Um, this is his breakout role, actually. Yep, breakout breakout role for, for pretty much everybody in the movie, for the most part, or at least all the young people. Ali Sheedy um, also stars in this. Um, also, Rennie Santoni has a, has a major role in this um, We'll get to him in a little bit too, because I have some some funny things to say about him too. Um, but yeah, just uh, a very very excellent cast in this movie. Um, music by Bill Conti, which I wanted to make mention of. Um, it wasn't one of the things that we normally touch on immediately, but uh, Bill Conti did the music for all of the Karate Kid movies and all of the Rocky movies and countless others. But I've always I've always liked any music by him in a movie. And you can really tell the score when you compare the score to like the, the karate kid score. I mean, they're basically using the same keyboard, um, which I found fascinating. Um, But yeah, synopsis on this movie, uh, basically classified classified as a crime drama. Um, 16 year old high school criminal, Mick O'Brien gets busted for running over a child during a high speed chase gets sent, sentenced to a juvenile prison. The older brother of the kid he killed ends up raping Mick's girlfriend as retaliation and ends up getting sent to the same prison, and ultimately they become prison rivals. Um, I kind of wrote that synopsis myself, actually. I didn't take it from anywhere. Yeah, so that's basically, I mean, that's the gist of the movie right there. Um, but it's, it's a, in my opinion, a fascinating movie. Um just to go into some other little tidbits before we really dig into it, um, budget was $5 million, box office gross $9.2 million. Hey. Um, so it, it did well in the box office if you think about it. I mean it wasn't a smash hit but uh, you know, still made its money back and then some almost double. Um, critical reception for this movie, I'm just going to keep it brief just in one sentence but the film did fairly well and was mainly praised for good direction and stellar performances um so that was basically the 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 critical reception that i kind of summed up from everything that i read about this movie um just to to yeah. kind of Sounds good. Kick this, just to kind of kick this off i've had a relationship with this movie since i was like maybe 8 or 9 years old um mm-hmm. i remember watching this movie uh on upn power 50 the, the the local Chicago station that played some of I mean basically like the bread and butter of midnight flicks <laughs> like basically I can owe to that station to to be honest it's where I saw you know Renegade the the television show Renegade Walker yeah. Walker Texas Ranger Kung Fu the Legend Continues these are the things I was watching on that station when I was a kid um, but I used to watch this movie whenever it would come on. Um, as a kid and, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've i will say, I don't know if a, a little kid should be watching this movie. It's,
3: it's, uh, well, yeah, I, 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 would say that, uh, as far as the midnight clock goes, which we'll get to later, it's a little bit higher up on the it's higher up on the, on the clock. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty hardcore. If you think about it.
2: Yeah, it's it's a it's a. I I didn't ever think about this as a kid, but I always felt it. But now that I'm kind of able to articulate this, it's a true bummer of a movie. Like, yeah, it it's it's gritty, but not just because of like the the production style or anything like that. It's like it's a very very upsetting movie. Well, um,
3: do you do you think that this movie had more attachment to you because it's a Chicago movie? Um, that's
2: one of the things that i will get to when i when i bring up some of the good um but yeah filmed entirely in chicago um i think that that's something that i more so appreciated as i got older um absolutely one of the best things about it in my opinion now just because it's like i mean some of these some of these scenes were literally filmed in places i've lived Mm -hmm. um and i i don't want to make that sound like i grew up in in like a rough area but there are some scenes like just filmed in like you know places of Chicago that I just happen to have lived. You know, right. yeah, they didn't film everything in like a crazy part of town or anything like that. But the movie definitely does take place in you know places that are crime ridden for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, just long story short, I have loved this movie my for almost my entire life and really, really kind of understood why it's such a fantastic and important film, like more so as I got older. So curious to to hear you guys' relationships with this movie because we're gonna we're gonna definitely get into some discussion about it.
3: Uh yeah. You go ahead Brandon. I, well I was gonna say I, I have a kind of similar uh connection with it as far as I watched it when I was real young too. Um you know, we didn't have any kind of censorship or anything like that in our house. So we'd watch all the crazy shit uh, any time. But this movie, my, my mom really liked this movie. And actually, so much so that I was a little bit pissed off. I remember being a kid, uh, 95, the The bad boys that everyone knows came out. I'm going, that's not bad boys. Like, <laughs> you know, what what's going on here?
2: Not the same thing, dude.
3: No, it's not the same. it's a far cry different um but no, that I got that got part. the that got the shine, you know? That gets the shine when you talk about bad boys. Now people are like bad boys? I don't remember that being a really gritty movie. I'm like, "No, you're thinking of the blockbuster fucking Will Smith Martin Lawrence movie. I'm talking about the real movie." Um yeah, this movie even from when I was a kid um, you know, pretty young watching this and not really understanding all the concepts um or the ins and outs you know the nuances um it was good then and it's it, it only got better as i got older and really understood from um i wouldn't say experience i mean i've never been in a gang but playing in touring bands you're always interacting with kind of uh marginalized people and so you see a little more of that firsthand, um, and this movie only gets better with age. Uh, I I also love this film.
2: I, agreed, just definitely about it getting better with age. Um, I'm sorry, Adam. I I not I just want to say this real quick, just in response to Brandon, when you mentioned like, you know, playing in bands, like it also to me this this kind of this movie kind of speaks to a lot of what I've come to know kind of almost birthed early eighties hardcore, you know, kids from, kids from broken homes, kids that, you know, come from a life of crime. Like, you know, obviously there was plenty of like, you know, safe suburban whites, you know, formulating the early hardcore scene. But at the same time, you know, this is like a very, this is a very urban movie. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think that, I don't, I don't know where you guys come from as far as like getting into that kind of mischief and trouble when you're younger or whatever, like these kids do, but I'm kind of one of these people where you're on an apex and if it wasn't for music, because I came from that broken home type of environment, I probably would have been a similar type of person as the people in this movie. (laughs) So, I mean, the two are not too far from each other. And I would agree that um, the, the, the main characters in this movie stem from that same type of um, hostility and aggression kind of background that early punk and, and extreme music kind of comes from as well. Totally. So
1: I'm going to have a confession here. This was my first time watching this.
2: Oh yeah, wow, on the list
1: amazing. for many, many years. So never you this it. whole
3: time, this whole time, you thought we were just talking about bad boys, bad boys.
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought you were talking about the theme song from Cops. Yeah, and I was so, ready to just have a whole podcast discussion about that theme song.
2: <laughs> well, okay, yeah. now I'm, I'm really never curious. too late. Never too late to change the agenda, Adam. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what editing you know. is all about.
1: I was going to say, you know what's going to get dropped in post, my friends. It's coming. (laughs) Nice. I'm just actually in post. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to drop in the entire just um, sound, like the soundtrack, not the music, but the sound from Bad Boys, the movie with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. That's That's going to get uploaded
3: that's good but you should also include i noticed on spotify now bands can upload their music and then there's like a lyric sheet too and it will do like a karaoke bouncing ball deal you should do just the lyrics from the cops bad boy song because no one knows the fucking lyrics
1: yeah no one knows them so um multi-layers there so yeah first time watching it i actually started re-watching it again i'm actually watching it right now on my uh on my uh, iPad, because I started rewatching it before just to get brushed up, and uh, yeah, this movie is great, and for me, the main thing with movies like this that I like to think about and dig into when discussing it is clearly the relationship of working class poor people to our judicial system, and that's from the very beginnings of their lives and and as young people, as juveniles on into adulthood, and how not, you know, obviously this clearly skews more towards minorities in terms of who are affected by it, but just, again, working class, poor people, and how they are the ones that get channeled into these things through material circumstances and having to make desperate decisions or compulsive decisions that ultimately land them in these complexes like chattel slavery. And yeah, so that's obviously a big thing that I want to be able to discuss about this and the acting is fantastic. The other thing I wanted to say, you touched upon it too, um, was I like the fact that this was all shot and takes place in Chicago. And you mentioned seeing, you know, places that you're familiar with, Particularly, I love the part. I'm I'm not trying to get too far ahead with the with the good here, but I'm just saying I like the part where it shows that punk show at the Albion House in the movie. There in the, I'm just kidding. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't actually happen. Um, but yeah. So first time, great movie, and have a lot to talk about. Hopefully with this, so I'm glad that we were able to do this. I will say that I have some disagreements with you guys in. Uh, what you guys were having there in that discussion—that maybe we can get into more—but by and large, I'm sure we're all going to be kind of of a similar mindset with this movie. So, that being said, John, do you have anything else?
2: Um, not really. I, I'm really, really excited that this led you to this movie, like this podcast led you to this movie, because you said something in the very first episode that we did that you know, kind of stuck with me and made me feel good. But, you know, I mentioned that I don't have a lot of knowledge on like old horror movies, you know, like, or just horror movies in general. I have like, you know, bits and pieces where like at times I'll, I'll impress you guys, but at at the same time there'll be times where, you know, you guys are talking about something. I'm just like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? You know? But I, you said, you know, like, well, hopefully this podcast will get you into some, some of these movies, you know? So I, being you know this this movie means a lot to me and so you know knowing that it's the first time you've ever seen it like i'm i'm very excited to hear more about your your perspective on this movie for that very reason right
1: for, for sure um yeah and that's what's great about this is we're going to be talking about movies that some of us haven't seen before and i do have significant gaps in my viewing as well where there's things that i'm even I'm like, I need to see that, and I should have. I should be knowledgeable about this movie at this point. It's like everything, though. You can't know everything. But, hey, that's why we do things like this. So we discover new things and have these discussions. So You know, it's I, good.
3: I want to mention one thing that I've kind of noticed, um, at least I don't know about sp- actually filmed in Chicago, but movies within our kind of umbrella set in chicago are particularly dark and gritty i mean just yes. like the way they're shot you know i'm, I'm just i kind of was trying to run up a list Candyman. that movie is super just uncomfortable the shooting it just seems like it seems like chicago is very much like detroit where it's just always dark always depressing you know the the Obviously, the um, content of the movies helps that. But Henry is, you know, Henry Chicago. Um, Child's Play, I know it's, it's kind of silly, sure. but but when you watch it, it's like Eddie Caputo in the back alley and all that stuff, uh, or the street peddler, and just Eddie Caputo's house on, what is it, the south side or something? It's just oh, burnt, no, that, it's that's burned a burned out
2: squaw. That's a creepy-ass scene. I mean, I'm going to just completely mirror what you're saying and say that like, I mean, both Henry and Child's Play specifically, you could, I mean, you could put one of like, you could mix and match the scenes with, with bad boys, like at least for the first, like 30 minutes of the movie, you know, you could mix and match like the production of these scenes and like, you won't really tell much of a difference. like. You could see that same like kind of setting in yeah. all three of those movies that you just named. I mean, I'm telling you, Child's Play, very different movie than Bad Boys, but you wouldn't know that they, I mean, you know that they take place in the same place.
3: Right. If you, you were know? to strip the context away, that one is yeah. about a murderous you know, doll, the spirit of a murderer, and one is like a true drama about the life of hard living people. Yeah. It's got that same grit and just menace watching it. And I really appreciate that. I don't know if that was a directorial, um, kind of thought when people were filming things in Chicago, just because of the zeitgeist at the time of how it felt, you know, the hard living and the struggle, or if it was just that all of these movies were shot in the eighties and that's just how they ended up looking. Um, but, well, um, I
2: will say this. I mean, if you if you, it, it really also does kind of depend on the genre too. Because like, if you think about it, around the same exact time, there were also like brat pack movies coming out that were all filmed in in this the suburbs of Chicago, north north suburbs of Chicago. So, um, they're by no means the same areas. Um, so it kind of just depends on like the setting. <laughs>
1: Questionable. Starting with the good, and we left off with John talking about establishing uh, <clears throat> the scene. Right.
2: So that's kind of how I wanted to kick off the good with this movie um, is by just kind of acknowledging the brilliance of like establishing setting in this movie um, right from the start. You know, you got the the shot of the L train going over when it just says Chicago, Illinois at the top of the screen, you know, and you know, the, the scene, the, the, the first scene shows basically just a a scene of crime, you know, purse snatching. Yep. Purse snatching, which actually we'll get into. I have just a nitpicky thing that bring up when we do the questionable later regarding the purse snatching. But um, yeah, just I think that all throughout the movie, you know, even just the, the shot of the gate closing when they first show the, the reform school, you know, um, it's just an unbelievable, un- unbelievably like clear, gritty and dark like establishment of like where you're at as far as setting goes. And it's it's not easy to do that. Like there's people that directors that fall short on doing that all the time, you know, whether it's bad editing or just like going into something too quickly or maybe like cutting to a scene without really establishing that setting, this movie does it perfectly. You know, um, you go from like the city landscape to essentially a juvenile prison, you know, not very, very different settings. One is like the wild and one is like very controlled in a sense. But, you know, another thing that I find interesting, I'm kind of like getting ahead, but I just have to mention it is like they show you how a setting that is supposed to be very controlled is very much like the wild that everybody came from, you yeah. know? And I think that's very interesting about it too. But yeah, just that would be the first thing that I wanted to acknowledge about the brilliance of this movie is just the establishment of setting.
3: Uh Yeah, I, I think – this kind of goes along with the establishment of the setting because your, your surroundings kind of help shape you and your, and your life and stuff. Um, the plausibility of the characters is number one on my good, you know, I see Sean Penn's character, um, Mick O'Brien, um, you know, Marino, these characters, they seem extremely realistic. Um, uh realistic um results of the harsh environment that they grow up in like just the the whole scene about o'brien is out doing crime or whatever he comes home and mom i have a friend you know (laughs) (laughs) can't can't talk to mom can't do you have no kind of dad's just not in the picture you don't have anything going on. How old is he supposed to be? Seventeen? He's like approaching sixteen. A dude. 16. Yeah. yeah. Right. Growing up in a hard ass city. You've got no parents that you can count on. Totally believable. Um, just how the, the the plot the pacing goes along and just introducing with a very um menacing environment, like you said, it's it's very much like the wild these people live in and then immediately showing very effectively why they are like that, you know? Yep.
2: totally. I mean, just- and, like not only just like with like, you know, him coming home and you obviously see his like, you know, paternal presence is just like in the shitter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like later on, like, you know, maybe like 10 minutes later when he's talking to, his girlfriend and she's like worried about him getting busted and he actually speaks to like speaks freely about his own feelings on his his situation where he's like where he's like, you know, it's no big deal when you get busted, they go and they give you lunch and then they send you right back home and the food's not even as good as what you just got. Right. And he's like it's like you could clearly see that he knows that he comes from shit. You yeah,
3: know? yeah, that kind of it kind of reminds me of um, just kind of the reality of the street compared to what a judicial system thinks people will be considering. You know, I was watching this program about how they're talking about uh, during the Bush administration, they decided to make the penalty for for minor, minor, nonviolent you know drug crimes so high that anybody thinking of peddling drugs just won't do it. This is not worth it. You know, they're talking to, they're interviewing like uh, a drug dealer in Detroit or Chicago, maybe um, from that time. He's going, and they forget that we think we're invincible, and we're never going to get caught, so we don't give a shit. I mean, that's like a similar allegory I could make to what O'Brien is talking about. It's like, yeah. what, what do I got to lose? I, I mean, it's it's worse being at home than being out on the street where at least I have control of myself. You yep. know, And I can personally relate to that. I mean, I was living in a car when I was 16 as soon as I got my license because it was better than being at home where I could at least think and act and, and spend my money the way that I saw fit. So there's a relation there and it just goes back to the plausibility of the characters because, you know, um, I don't know about your upbringing, but it wasn't a far cry different than this so i know it's realistic you know
2: yeah it i'm i'm happy to hear that that perspective from you i i it's funny because i would say that my you know my peer life you know like what i experienced at school was was like what was the nightmare for me yeah. you know being being bullied being like the smallest kid in school like at all times basically until i hit my growth spurt um but like you know like that was what was torture like i never had a normal social life as a kid but coming from my family i mean i think that's the only thing that i can say balanced me out is uh you know just having the love and care that i needed at home absolutely um so the way that he approaches life you know prior to getting sent, prior to getting sent to to youth prison it just kind of speaks to this need to control your surroundings and when you're able to escape what you can't control at home, you know naturally you might gravitate towards a life of crime outside of that because it's almost like a like a superiority complex in a way where it's like you're you're the king of the jungle right I don't know that that's just kind of what I get from it uh, yeah
1: I was gonna yeah. say as far as where I kind of come in with all this. I would say of the two perspectives of you guys, with you guys, I'm kind of in the middle. And, you know, I went through my own delinquency spell. And it's funny because, you know, I was watching this with Charlotte and she, in a lot of ways, was about as close as you're going to get to some of these characters that we see in this movie as I personally know, you know, as somebody that's close to me and for, you know, forever. I always thought that I was a bad kid for a bit growing up, but it's funny when you think, when you think you're a bad kid or, or you're a, a delinquent and there's people like this that right. are living such a level of like, you know, at such a level of, of being feral essentially. And <laughs> and devious and engaging in highly dangerous criminal activity on a regular basis
3: <laughs> yeah no oh, shit. Oh. I mean did you see that suitcase <laughs> of pharmaceuticals that's serious fucking sh- that's sh- serious shit these kids are 16 <laughs> and then when they go into the high school scene and they're just like oh yeah we're just gonna knock these guys off and take their shit just like, just like that yeah. I mean, it's just easy because it's everyday life. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but... No, 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 it's fine. It's funny point. for
1: me. I was just basically... I was a class clown and vandalized some things once in a while. That was really as bad as I got. I didn't really even do drugs or anything when I was a teenager. I, I dabbled a bit and then I stopped doing any of it by the time I was 15 um, for years and years and years. Uh, but
2: <laughs> I'm going to be honest... E- even coming from the very non-broken home that I came from, I still was the class clown and vandalized plenty of shit in my day too. So maybe, maybe we're not that far off.
1: Right. I mean, and because that's kind of the thing is when you think about it, it's kind of, that's normal, but this level of kind of delinquent depravity is it's really sometimes for me hard to grasp and wrap my mind around um, cause even I being like kind of a poor to middle-class kid for a lot of my life, when I knew kids like that, I was like, man, that's fucked up. You know, <laughs> yeah. I never did hard drugs. I never was like, you know, expelled from school for bringing a gun or a knife. I didn't get in fights a lot. I was just, I don't know. I just, you know, went out and partied sometimes and vandalized things and, you know, would make jokes about my balls to the teacher and they would send me down. But I grew up oh, yeah. in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. So things like that would get me, I'd get the book thrown at me. I got probation. I went to court. I had to go to counseling and I wasn't even that bad of a kid. And you see guys like this, it's like,
2: <laughs> got definitely, nothing definitely, on them. Speaks to, definitely speaks to the, the, the setting factor. Because, you know, these are these are obviously areas where, you know, gangs are prevalent. You know, um, you're not going to see the same. I mean, I'm sure it still exists, but you're not going to get the same type of environment in like middle of nowhere Indiana. You know, right? So yeah,
3: I you know, I I think that I think that Adam and I kind of grew up in maybe a similar type of place. I grew up in a city that was, I mean, now it's bustling. I say this in air quotes, bustling Its population is 6,000. So, you know, my, my, my connection to this kind of thing is like um, it's not from an urban way at all. It's, it was just extreme poverty, um, within within rural communities. Um, it's just from the the aspect of you've got nothing to lose because you have nothing already, you know? Yeah. Um, But I do understand, Adam, your, your point of, of this kind of, this kind of behavior doesn't exist at least when we grew up. I mean, maybe now small towns are, are meth riddled, uh, you know, heroin riddled, fucking crime zones of their own. It's just totally different than an, an urban setting.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, like, if again, going back to if a kid came to school with a gun at my high school, you never saw them again. They were gone, and that was like one dude every once in a while. It was always a dude. It was never. The, the women, the, the girls would get knocked up and then you wouldn't see them. And then the guy that brought the gun or the drugs to school would immediately get hiked off to Juvie and you'd never see them again. It wasn't like a school in an urban center like this. Um, and we we talked about this. when We covered that movie Class of 1984, which is this absurd, over-the-top representation of kids gone wild in the future and punks. But it's like... Where they have these schools where it's like everybody's a delinquent and it's just this controlled chaos somehow and those things exist. I I, I know those kind of schools exist. Again, talking to Charlotte about growing up in New York, that's the way her school was, right. but it doesn't it doesn't really exist. At least, yeah, like like you were saying, if you grew up in the '80s and '90s in rural areas, um, that stuff was very very. Uh, much the exception, it was nipped in the bud eventually, and everything, you know, <laughs> yeah. kind of went back to quote unquote normal. That's uh, true
3: until you get your just every couple years axe murder. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that or kind active of shit. shooter, active yeah. shooter.
1: At this point, and that's what you get in those areas. Yeah. You get the active shooter kid, and then they just and they just murder everybody, and <laughs> right. So it's like it's like all all of the aggression and ferality of the urban centers is just like it's with the active shooters. It's just all channel, channeled into one person and one fell swoop or whatever. I guess so, and that's it's a whole other discussion of, about the malaise of this country, and it will continue into perpetuity as long as we live in this broken, uh, dying empire <laughs> of a country that doesn't take care of its citizens and you know take care of their material needs and wants we will have people like this but um but i wanted to say though pivoting away from like the bigger overarching topics to talk about like the specifics maybe about the movie that you liked like obviously the acting in this is spectacular there's so many great performances in this from just about everybody um obviously Sean Penn um uh, Specifically, I want to talk about I love Eric Gurry who plays Horowitz and it's oh so funny God. because this dude was in two movies. Yeah. And then he I was in that. nothing.
2: Yeah. I saw that. He disappeared.
3: I saw that. I mean, it, if if his acting was as knockout in the other movie he was in, um, as it was in this, he'd go, man, you must have just really not liked your you know step into to to film because he knocked it out I mean he's the only part of the movie that's really funny <laughs> you
2: yeah know? Horowitz is one of my favorite characters in any movie I've ever seen he's so good it's it's unbelievable where I mean there's there's a few quotes one of one of which is his that we'll get into when we get into quotes but um just He's just the uh, the ultimate like wise ass, smart ass, like hidden like hidden a uh, hidden agenda psychopath that you'll ever meet. But he's also
1: you clearly know? a genius, and that was the thing of all the characters. Like you know, clearly they go into how illiterate everybody is in this movie due to their upbringing, and and they're not book smart at all. They're quite the opposite, they're street smart, I guess maybe even not so much that, <laughs> that street smart, but he's like legitimately of a, a highly intelligent person. So he is, you know, this really exceptional individual in the movie.
2: Absolutely. But he's got such a screw loose at the same time. Yeah. You know? He's, I mean, he's this, a
1: legit psychopath.
2: He's got like, <laughs> it's it's weird because you, you get a sense the entire movie that he's got this like, almost like, like upper level, like understanding of things, you know, and like he's able to articulate himself. Like he, he's clearly, like you said, smarter, you know, and like, you know, just the way that he speaks to Mick, you know, like you get the sense that he does have an understanding of like what's right and wrong. But at the same time, when, when he decides that it's, it's go time, like (laughs) he's like, fucking ruthless like and he's (laughs) and and he's smart too so it's like the most dangerous type of psychopath like every single thing that he executes in the movie is like like he doesn't have to fucking get caught you know like like i mean we'll get into that too because there's actually one of the trivias that i read that i thought i found very interesting about like the way that horowitz is written um but we'll get into that later but but yeah he's he's just He's a very, very interesting character kind of thrown in the middle of this, but also it works at the same time. Right.
1: Yeah, just, again, his ingenuity in how he gets back at his enemies. Yeah. Prime example, him rigging that boombox
3: yeah.
2: that
1: he gives to Viking.
2: <laughs> I, I, literally, I literally have that as one of my good points just because- Right, right. I fucking love that part. That that part is the way
3: they set it up to it. I thought was so good because you know from knowing about his story that yeah. and and you see him working on the thing and ah oh, damn, I almost had it that time when the wire burns up. You know what yeah. he's done when you see the boombox sitting there, and then when when Viking when Clancy Brown's character Viking is listening to it, and then. Oh, it's going to go off. And like, you know, even now I know what happens. I've watched this movie pretty much my whole life, but I'm, it's like edge of your seat moment. When's it going to happen? And then it sparks and fails and you go, Oh, didn't happen. And then it goes up like that whole setup. I think is just brilliant.
2: It's, it's so intense. And like, it's, it's, it's almost creepy. Just when you think about like the madness that it would take to like hurt another person in this way, because if you think about it, so much of the movie is based on like violence as like in the heat of passion, you know, like people getting in fights, people, people, you know, criminals, like criminal activity drive by, drive-bys you know like the way
3: that horowitz got into the the kids prison anyway i mean that's an act yep. of passion bomb the bowling alley it's just unfortunately it was a wrong three people
2: right i love when he says that but like just it when you think about like the radio scene specifically it's just like it's like one of the examples of violence it, it's one of the only examples of violence in this movie that's just like calculated and and hidden in the background and it's like i mean he's he's in his cell in the in the in the downstairs like portion of the prison just kind of waiting for this to happen like he planned it and executed it perfectly but it's not like he didn't get in an altercation with lofgren in that moment it's just strictly revenge it's time it was time it was long due um. God. Yeah, and so, you're not gonna as fucked up as it is. You're not gonna still watch that and be like, "Yeah, fuck you, Lofgren." Yeah. You know? Well, the funny thing that
3: I find with somebody who's so calculated, like like his character, Horace's character, is that when he's it's getting to the punishment, he still fights as if he didn't think it was gonna happen. You're going to solitary. Don't take me down there, man. I mean, the yeah. two times. There's one time earlier in the movie where he gets sent to. Um, sent to solitary solitary. and then and then when he fights the warden with the golf club or whatever it's it's very much animalistic it's it reminds me of the whole you know the snake bites you and and then the snake says what did you expect i'm a snake i mean that's that's my nature it's what i do
2: well, one of the first it's kind of foreshadowing in a way because one of the first things that he says to Mick is like, Hey, I like a little fucking conversation sometimes, so I yeah. don't want to mute in my cell. And like you get the the sense that like, you know, if, if he likes you, like he wants he, he wants to form a relationship with you, you know. He obviously doesn't give a shit if he's gonna talk to like Tweety or Viking, you know? But right. like he he clearly wants to get to know Mick and like become close with him. And I think that that parallels with his like fear of solitary, you know, like he's clearly got like abandonment issues and like does not want to not be around somebody.
3: Right. And that, Mm -hmm. and that, that plays to the, the entire character. It's like you said, the foreshadowing helps to instill that this is a genuine lived in character.
1: Yeah. That's, that's all great. Um, Well, because we're kind of dancing around talking about him too. Specifically, I also want to talk about Clancy Brown, who... I love Clancy Brown. Yeah. Just about everything he's ever been in. My introduction to Clancy Brown, I think for a lot of people, was probably Shawshank Redemption. But for me, it was Highlander as Kurgan. And he's yeah. great as Kurgan and Highlander. But he just... Because he is so distinct, he's he's just, you know, this giant man. Um He's just – he's so intimidating as an individual, and he always plays these brooding, bestial type of people. <laughs> yeah, the
2: word, yeah. The word, that, the word that comes to my mind when it, when it comes to Clancy Brown is just sociopath. He plays a ruthless sociopath in every single thing I've ever seen him in, including Pet Cemetery 2. I was just going to say, you know, that was kind of my introduction because – Watching this movie as a kid, this
3: was obviously the first thing I saw him in, but I didn't realize that was him in pet cemetery two um until I watched this movie again after watching uh pet cemetery Two for the first time and he, again in that movie, he's an authoritative figure, which on in its own in its own is typically kind of sociopathic you know to right. be this authority you know you have to instill some type of order whether it be right or wrong and he always plays these characters where he he he, he acts upon his own
2: laws absolutely i mean it's it's abusive power and that's yeah. like it's abusive power and and he you could call it almost typecast in a way
3: um, right, yeah But
2: i mean he he clearly has a talent for just giving off that vibe in his films you know, I mean, right. he, I love it.
3: Yeah, he's, he's yeah, so, excellent in this. Excellent.
1: He's great. Uh, you did mention also uh, wanting to talk about Renny Santoni, who is fantastic in this as well.
2: His his performance is like, it's like, you don't really need to, you don't really have, I, I, I didn't have any real doubts, like as I fo- came to understand this movie more as an adult, but I didn't really have any doubts that it, passes as like a legitimate film with like stellar acting. But if you were to like look at this on a surface level, you could without – if you didn't understand the movie, you could lump it in with like a lot of other really shitty 80s movies. Like if you're not paying attention to what's going on, you know? Um, And I think that Rennie Santoni's character and performance just – you can't argue it at that point.
1: And – We're going to get into this later, clearly, because of our new awards section, but for a lot of people, Rennie Santoni is inextricably linked to one character in particular, right? So so (laughs) seeing him in these earlier roles, because he's also in the French Connection, and he's in this, and he was clearly in legitimate cinematic roles, uh, and to know him later on as being such a prominent character in the... the, uh, Uh, Seinfeld canon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I did want to s- touch upon like you discussing the nature of this movie, and especially with respect to this podcast, is I would say this is one of a handful of movies we've discussed over the four seasons that is the most dramatically tilted and kind of Oscar fodder to a certain extent, but it is clearly rooted in in grindhouse and exploitation as well it it has that grimy grindhouse feel because of the subject matter and because it's so violent right. but because of the roles and because of the way the message is trying to be kind of portrayed it's of an elevated status so yep. you know it's it, it 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 is a step beyond B movie status in those regards with clearly having roots in it And, you know, it's obvious that Rick Rosenthal had, he had a history with that, with doing Halloween 2. Let me say, for the record, maybe this is getting a little ahead of myself, uh, I would say that this is, from what I know of Rick Rosenthal's, uh, uh, his his work, his probably best movie, um, for sure. Like I think he kind of he kind of peaked pretty early
2: on, yeah. that's amazing to hear two. you say that, considering you you watched it for the first time well you know? I, I, yeah.
3: I would I would echo that because just I wasn't sure that I was familiar with his um, his previous movies or his or his later movies, but after looking through his filmography, yeah, this movie is is head and shoulders above the others, I would say. He did a lot of TV too. Yeah,
1: you do a lot of T V. Um,
3: but yeah, this movie I mean, if you look at the other movies too, this movie has the most punch in it. It has the, the most real um, take take this like the heaviest shit you learned in dare class in school. <laughs> right. You know, and consider this is, this it when you a- go consider it when you go home, kind of thing.
1: This is See, this I is think, a scared straight movie for sure. Yeah, I a think scared straight movie. It,
2: I think that's what makes it so great because it's like you get elements of these other you know genres that we're talking about. But that's what essentially because it's so good and it, because it's so well written and because the performances are so fantastic and the cin- cinematography and all that, it it's what makes it a hidden gem. You yeah. know, I mean, just a few years earlier than this, I I believe I could be a little bit inaccurate here but just a few years before this movie came out i believe ordinary people won best picture and uh i don't know if either of you have seen that movie but yeah,
1: i know what you're talking about
2: i mean it's it's like a like a very much i mean in my opinion worthy of of winning best picture but it's you would never put these movies on the same level if you were just looking at like what they're about and like the types of actors that were were introduced in them but if you, if you compare the performance quality, you could act absolutely put this movie on that level. And that's kind of like what I'm saying is that it's, it's like it's, – it's, it's really, really way, way better than people give it credit for.
1: Um, so we should probably wrap up the goods here. Maybe do some quick like rapid fire goods and then go into the bads. Sounds good. I want to do a couple rapid fire goods, uh, <clears throat> and this isn't good because of what happens, but it's good because of how intense that scene is. Uh, when Paco's brother gets ran over, that's yeah. intense. Um, I always like a good ambush, double cross, which happens with the multitude of gangs all interacting with one another. So you have two gangs that are going after Paco's gang, and then they all just clash and fuck each other over,
2: which leads
1: (laughs) to the kid getting ran over. Um, I just like any kind of movie that deals with prison and gang politics and the outward facing hypocrisy of it, which is just kind of par for the course because whatever reasons, like, you know, the systemic reasons why it doesn't make sense to actually have a real rehabilitative system that keeps kids or adults from coming in and out of prison and recidivism. That clearly you put these feral people or these people that are treated inhuman when they're outside of prison into prison and they're continued to be treated inhumanely, which just perpetuates their propensity to do criminal things so you know again we were talking about that a lot with you know just having them all be put together like zoo animals and just that's the whole premise of this you know the the
2: they literally call it the zoo
1: yeah the the clash the 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 uh the showdown that this leads up to is because of a Broken, shitty system. Why on earth would you even think about putting this guy's rival in the same place with him? Acting like, oh, we can't put him anywhere else. Bullshit. Bullshit. Like, clearly it's because it doesn't matter. (laughs) It's a systemic issue that that puts him there. It's, It's a systemic problem that everybody has to fall victim to, ultimately, which they do. All of the prison guards and the wardens and, and the uh, counselors, they all get fucked up, too, because of this. renny yeah. Santoni almost dies, his character, uh, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> of putting these two volatile individuals in the, in the same place for extended periods of time together. So, yeah, you know, and that's what you're saying. It's just that this is. This is a real feel good movie where everybody wins.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to, to your point, I was going to mention that uh, you, how was this ever a good idea? Um, yeah. With just prisons in general, and now you have youths who, you know, they're not fully developed. They're not, they don't have the, right, the wiseness or anything. It's like the, the thing that a prison seems to be generating the best. Is just better criminals when they get out. Yeah. They just now have perfected their skills by talking shop with the rest of the guys <laughs> on how to just do it better next time. I mean, I mean that's
2: that's exactly. I was going to bring this up as like one of the goods too. Like the character of Tweety, which we haven't really said in- that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm going to actually let you finish that thought.
3: Well, I was just going to mention that. Like case in point in this movie, you get the. Um, I don't I can't remember what his name is, Lawrence something or other, you know, they re- when when Horowitz reads the rundown and he just kind of goes, yeah, who cares, whatever. And then they ask well, Lofgren, who's who's that? That's Tweety, you assholes. It's like, okay, yeah. yeah. He gets out, he's out for not that long and he gets shot up trying to hold up a liquor store.
2: Right, one of the things that, Yeah. One of the things that I think is so... Well written about that scene is that, I mean Tweedy was a piece of shit. Oh yeah. Okay. He fucking Terrible, yeah. He, he raped that kid. Yeah. You know. Th- th- we didn't touch on this, but one of the most unsettling scenes in the movie is when he rapes that inmate, and the inmate tries to stab him afterwards, and he ends up throwing him off the balcony and yeah. killing him.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: And he's just he's just this little kid that ended up in the juvie prison. You know. And when when Tweedy does that, it, I mean, he's an, obviously an asshole throughout the whole movie, but really establish him as just this like complete sociopathic piece of shit, right? But in a way, it's like, I think that there's like a dichotomy of like, you you find out that he died afterwards and all of a sudden everyone just kind of like gets real quiet and it's like unsettling. And it's like, the immediately knee, the immediate knee jerk reaction for me was like, all right, who cares? Like fuck that guy, yeah. you know. Horrible. But at, the, yeah, but, at, but at the same time, the reason that that's so brilliantly written is because there's humanity in everybody. I mean, I think is like the message there right. is that there's, yeah. there's humanity in everybody, and everybody's a product of this system everyone I think at that moment kind of realizes like, Oh, like in, in a lot of ways, like none of us are any better than the other, you know? So it's like, I don't know. I just, I felt that there there's like kind of a back and forth going there where it's like, should we feel bad for this asshole that died after getting out when he was such a piece of shit? Well, yeah, maybe we should, you know?
1: Well, and I feel like that goes back to the off the mic discussion we were having about American history X, that's exactly what they're trying to do to portray in that movie is clearly uh, Edward Norton's character is a monster. He mm-hmm. curb stomps a guy. Yeah. Brutally murders an individual. I hate, you know, I hate crime, but they're trying to show that even those people that are pushed that far, there is humanity in, in them. And if, maybe they're treated that way, maybe under the right circumstances of rehabilitation and having the right people being able to break through to them, they can come around. And that's, again, why our prison and carceral system is bad, especially with the death penalty, because you, you should never, ever, unless, you know, there are obviously, in any, even in the most perfect, like, communist socialist society, there are going to be just sociopathic individuals that are beyond any help. But yeah. most people, they are doing the things that they do that are considered sociopathic and whatever, antisocial, because of trauma or poverty or whatever things that could be rectified and hopefully, you know, helped. And and yeah, so that's what... I feel like yeah, with the whole thing with Tweety, same thing. So I agree.
3: Well, it, it to me when I when that scene comes up, and I remember thinking this when I was a kid too. You know, Horowitz reads the thing, and they're like, "Yeah, who gives a shit?" Lofgren goes, "That's ah, Tweety, you assholes!" And everybody gets all solemn. That, that yeah. points out something that just saddens me about society, and that it somehow makes a difference if you had some kind of tangential connection to a person you know that oh because we knew his name that somehow that somehow makes you feel better or it makes in this case makes you feel worse because well oh we knew this guy yeah i knew him and he was a fucking total uh misery to be around <laughs> You know, (laughs) this is what might make this a really long episode. This movie touches on things that are so real that you can just digress into all of these real, um, kind of events that happen. You know, my, my point to why it saddens me is that, uh, yeah, you know, we should care about the, the kids who are, are, um, you know, under the the power and the throes of some warlord in Africa, but how often do we think about that? That's so far away. I don't think about that. But the poor kids yeah. on the streets in L.A. It's like there's really no different. They're doing the same shit. It's the same behaviors. You should care equally, but we don't because it's not close.
2: You know. I mean, there's there's you know, unfortunately, there's people being raped and beaten at home, like on our all of our blocks, right. You know, and like it doesn't matter if you live in the suburbs or if you live in the city, you know, so it's like, I don't know, I, I, I'm i not apathetic when it comes to politics by any means, especially not in the last few years. I've like learned and grown a lot, but um, I still at the end of the day, I think that your biggest impact comes in your community. It, it was all relative to this movie
3: because you see that you know you talk about in your community. Well, think of this kids' prison as a community. The things yep. that happen when O'Brien shows up and this dovetails into one of my rapid-fire goods: O'Brien's revenge on Viking and Tweety. Oh my God! It was the next thing I was going to say. Every every time I see that, ever since I was a kid, like you said, that scene where. Tweety rapes that kid and then immediately throws him off the balcony, and you know how terrified that kid is to be in there because that's the only speaking roles he really has is when he's talking about I can't take it in here, Amanda O'Brien, because he comes. Yeah, they're
2: know, gonna get me. They're gonna get. Yeah, me.
3: he's admitted at the same time or whatever, so that immediately sets up just how awful and malicious these barn bosses are and then o'brien yeah. turns around he gets the cans and you're like oh yeah he just really likes tab uh, soda
2: can soda can beat down fucking brutal those. yeah it's so oh, good dude. and then so just for to anybody that hasn't seen it you know o'brien fucking it, you know right before lights out fills up a pillowcase of what probably seven or eight Soda cans. Yeah, right? he
3: just he buys a bunch of soda. He saves his change, buys a bunch of sodas from the machine.
2: Quiet, quietly walks into his cell, waits for you know basically Bates Tweety and Viking to come and start fucking with him, and then boom, it's yeah. all 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 hell breaks loose, and that's it. No more Fuck no buses.
3: Yeah, and and so my point is is that his immediate community sees how he takes takes authority from those guys. He takes the power back and they're all, well, you're barn boss now, you know, and yeah. it, they, they just, it's established that he is now the guy because he, he stood up um, to, to the, the dudes holding the whole complex down. So yeah, that plays to your point about the powers within your community, even if you're in a boy's prison. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, one thing I wanted to point out, and this is something that I find interesting and has been on my mind lately because I went back and started rewatching Boardwalk Empire. I don't know if you guys ever watched that, but. Um, <clears throat> and this relates to like any sort of kind of old or uh, period piece related thing, to like gang movies and, and mafia movies. But there's something that's funny and interesting to me about how at one point there was a ubiquity of using racial slurs amongst people as almost a term of endearment. <laughs> and like Korowitz does that with O'Brien where he calls him a mick. A fucking mick. Obviously that's something that happens a lot in prison, I'm sure, where, you know, clearly at this point in our society, in, in this country, not going to fly. <laughs> but there was a point where, People were considered equals, and even though, like, they are different, like, races and creeds and religions, like, especially in urban environments or whatever, where you could say something like that to somebody, uh, and, you know, it wouldn't necessarily mean, it wouldn't indicate that you were trying to imply superiority of yourself. It was, again, like, almost an, a term of endearment yeah. <laughs> to say I that mean- to somebody.
2: I mean, to this day, like, I mean, I'm, I'm known as like the Jew of my friends group. I mean, (laughs) I mean, they, 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 they call me whatever they want and it's like totally fine and it doesn't bother me. And like, it's not some kind of like hidden, like, oh, you know, like this really bothers me, but I can't say anything. It's nothing like that. It's just like, you know, like these are my friends and you know, we make fun of each other and that's just like, what's up? I'm, I'm the token Jewish guy in our friends group. But I'm not saying that that should be ever made public because it's like, you don't know how somebody else is going to react to that, but you know, sure. When it's like when it's like when you're close to somebody, I think it does change the scope a little bit. It just depends on like what the boundaries are, you know.
1: Sure, sure, yeah, totally.
2: Okay, all right. Here's mine, and they really are rapid fire.
3: So you kind of touched on the Paco's um, brother getting killed, but just the scenes of violence in this movie, I thought were executed wonderfully. Um, in yes. that adding to the whole tone of just how raw and real this is that gun fight, um, the, the, you know, kind of sets this whole thing in motion, how quickly it turns bad. I thought that was excellent. And that dude just blowing Carl away with the shotgun and (laughs) Carl's reluctance to use the gun. I love Carl. Um, that dude was in a couple other movies too. Uh, Alan Ruck. Ruck. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't get
1: to talk about Alan Ruck and how, He's in here briefly, and this is like his first appearance. But it's
2: we funny that all he's in there. He wins an award in a little bit, but we're not going to talk about that yet. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so I, I mean, like his character when he sees the gun and he's like
3: hyperventilating, he's got that little nervous smile. And, yep, and, yep. and over- oh, man, the, that we're going to be one in one. there so fast, you're not going to have time to use that. And then, as soon as it starts going bad, he's one of the first people shooting, like nervous shooting, and that gets him blown yeah, away. Yeah. I love that scene; it just really sets up the visceral kind of mood of where this movie's going. Um, yeah. I love that. Uh, I so I don't know if you guys really care about this, but that van that rolls up to pick up Tweety is badass.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, super sick. Bitch and Van.
3: Bitch and Van. Um, again with the the violent scenes. The um Paco's beat down of Herrera going into the final act where he hits him with that pipe, and then it, oh, yeah. Herrera's getting up and he hits him again. It's you know in a mo- movie now it's like one whack and he's down. It's like movies where people get strangled and they're dead immediately. You know this scene. Right. It's like he's getting back up and wham, he's got a get them a couple more times. I thought that was cool. Um, and my last rapid fire good is in the end credits. If you're watching, I didn't even catch the dude's name because he's only credited as there's bad dude. One bad <laughs> dude. Two. I stuck I around. That. I stuck around for the credits and <laughs> it gave me a chuckle. Yeah.
2: That's my goods right on. All right. I'm really going to try to power through this so we can move on. But they, like I said, they are deeper. Um, I just want to touch on, you know, when Brandon, I think you said that how he, both of you have basically said that, you know, these kids have nothing to lose. Right. I think that the reason we haven't really touched on, on Mick O'Brien's girlfriend much in this, but I I was hoping
1: we would get the Ali Sheedy in that character as well. So,
2: yeah. So, I mean, one of the goods in this is just the theme of reformity, but in a way where it's like he truly does have something to lose. And the whole inner struggle with him is basically realizing how realizing consequence in this movie. Yeah. With in a way that he never had before. And like, you know, obviously like Paco getting his revenge by by, you know, unfortunately raping her, his girlfriend you know, outside of prison uh, is like what lands him in there and what really is like taking the one thing away from Mick and that's like his girlfriend's innocence, you know. Um, but yeah. just just the, his inner struggle with, with what he does have to lose is so important when it comes to like sometimes that's how we reform ourselves is we get a kick in the ass, you know. Um, and so I think that kind of begs the question when he spares – Paco at the end, you know, they get in that big fight and he could kill him and is being encouraged to kill and doesn't, um, you know, the, it begs the question, like, is he, is he reformed now? Right. You know, like right. he's got his review coming up. Like you basically know that he's going to be up for review, especially after they get Paco out of there. You know, it's like, is this what reforms people is that's just a question. And I think a good about this movie is like all of the, the questions that you're left with, you know, in that sense. And then the final thing that I want to touch on is just the way that this, the movie ends with the end credits where it's just a very natural, like dissolving of, of what just happened. You know, people Nothing go back to to
3: see here, go back to your business. Yep. People right. go
2: back to there, but they, they set the benches back up. Eventually the lights go out, but it's like, that's how this the credits just roll up in this eerie way. Yeah. And it's just like the perfect end to the I mean, the movie is art, straight up. Like this movie is art. Um, you know, with the way that those credits come and how the movie ends. And I just that's like my final offering as far as the good in this movie.
3: Um, okay, I wanna just say one more thing because I it, it's going to fall into good more than anywhere else. But just to touch on what you said about the question of O'Brien's morality and and stuff like that, this is one of the very few movies where the characters, the anti-hero, if you will, because by and large, every character in this is a piece of shit. Maybe not Herrera, but he explains that he had the gang life at one time, suggests that maybe he had he was a hard dude at one time. But typically I love, I only want to see when the characters do the bad thing, you know? I mean, in this case it would be succumbing to the chanting of the mob, kill him. You know, they all want to kill him. But this is one of the movies, the very few where I appreciate how it ended that he, he did the righteous thing. You know,
2: I think it's more powerful because of it.
3: Way I, more. I agree. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I, 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 as a kid, I was relieved that he didn't plunge that shiv right into his throat. Right. And as an yeah. as an adult, you know, we all have morbid, unchecked, you know, need some serious therapy bullshit in our our brains, obviously. But I, I, and I, you know, I'll be the first person to mirror that. Like that, I would love to see him stab, taco Paco, but. To this day as an adult, I am relieved at the end when he doesn't. Right. That's what yeah. Makes it, it, yeah.
1: It's 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 an appropriate resolution, and I, I also agree. I actually do have parts of my uh in my questionable with that ending, but by and large, yeah, it, it is a satisfying ending.
3: Uh so. okay. All right. Are we rolling on to the bads? Because I'm okay, a,
1: the, the, the back quick. end should be pretty quick. So yeah, let's get into the bad. I was going to offer my bad real quick off yeah, the top.
2: Yeah, do it. Go for it. I only have two. Me too.
1: Billy Squire. I hate Billy Squire. Fucking hate him. I hate Billy Squire. Yeah, yeah, no yeah.
3: I, I have an affinity for that album, so whatever. Okay, well.
2: Agree there's, Agree there's, there's to disagree.
1: <laughs> uh, go ahead, uh, John.
2: Um. Okay, so my two bads. Number one, it's not a bad at all, but it's like a bad Just, we touched on it already, just how much of a bummer this movie is. Like, as much as, as, like, like it's not a bad in in terms of, like, critique, you know, but it's just, this is such a bummer of a movie. There's, like, disheartening scene after disheartening scene, and it's just, like, I can't tell you that I feel good after watching this movie. It's, like... I need I need to watch an episode of fucking Seinfeld after I watch this movie. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, you need, need a palette. I need, some, I need some New York Jews like just being neurotic for a little bit after <laughs> after watching this. So that's that's a bad sort of, but not in a critiquing way, obviously. But the sure. other bad that drives me up the wall actually to the point where I rewatched it five times just because it was making me so mad <laughs> when Paco. Trips Horowitz in the lunchroom, Mm -hmm. that is Eric Gurry's and Rick Rosenthal's fuck up too. It is so bad how he throws the tray like way too quickly. (laughs) Like it is just one – it is like they needed to to say cut and do that take again and they didn't. (laughs) It is so, so shitty how fake that fall looks. (laughs) I encourage you both to rewatch it if you didn't pick up. I
3: I I watch this movie all the time, so I totally will watch. I have actually something in the questionable for you because I know you will rewatch this again. Um, Yes, but we'll get to that. Okay, so you want my bads? Yes. Up until this afternoon, I the only bad I had was the boys because they are you know that's the only bad in this movie clearly. They are bad. They're, they are very, very bad boys. But <laughs> that's not bad. It's, um, the only bad that I have, and this is just a personal thing, the booger and the beans. The booger <laughs> and the beans. Just because I was just talking to a friend earlier about this. I can deal with car wrecks, real-life fucking gore, and I've seen people just wide open. That doesn't bother me. But bodily transferal – like fluids, puking in movies, puking in real life. Don't want to see it. Don't want to smell it. Shit coming out of people's noses. So when Viking goes and he gets that cliffhanger, you know, that pull out of the back of your brain, fucking boog daddy, and slides it into the green beans, I, I got to just look away. It's fucking gross. It is gross, which is good for the movie. It's just a personal
2: thing. The booger and the beans, ugh. I'll, it's I will take really, a pass. really, a gross scene because it's like what's what the visual of it is actually not overly graphic, right? But just the way that he like inserts it into the food
3: just, is just, just like he dances it around a little bit. Oh,
2: yeah, it's fucked up, man. Yeah. That's more fucked up than anything else that happens in the movie. Yeah, for sure. kind
3: of the fact that he fondles the beans. He doesn't just kind of touch <laughs> one. He really gets it. Really massages her in there. Yeah. Anyway,
1: I, I actually had it as a little good in my goods, and I didn't say it. But I think it's so good just because that's clearly Clancy is really digging for gold there. That's and yeah, he's trying to get him out.
3: out. He's <laughs> <laughs> and he's trying. Yeah, yeah. That was a real bug in, in real life. <laughs> that, and, um, and it sets up the scene. I mean, he's trying to you know goad O'Brien. He's trying to get him, and that would get me. I'll tell you what.
1: Oh yeah. So. Yeah, it's major gross out. I had one other bad that I was going to say real quick. As someone you both know, I uh, I, I do engage in strength training. And uh, I will say that, yes, these guys, for being kids, well, I mean, they're in their 20s at the time. But, you know, the guys in, in this are all pretty ripped, especially Paco. But there's this part where it shows Paco doing these bicep curls, and it is the shittiest form ever. Yeah. And I'm like, how
3: do you – I saw that, actually. How do you –
1: how are you that ripped with that bad of fucking bicep curl form, my guy?
3: Right. <laughs> it's I, almost like Ron, it's like
1: Ron Burgundy in fucking in Anchorman. He's like, check out these guns.
3: Ooh, yeah. that's a
1: burn. Yeah, but it's kind of <laughs> like
3: when you see tweakers and they look all ripped, but really it's just yeah. that that sinewy, uh, feral tweaker strength. You know, maybe Paco's yeah. just getting high on his own supply and he's got that. Just a blasted out look. I don't know. I mean,
2: I'm I'm going to just say this as as a heterosexual male here. I'm going to say that Paco's Paco's looking good. I'm I'm just going to yeah, say. Man. I don't no, I don't want to sound queer or nothing, but goddamn,
1: <laughs> he is looking good. He is right, one of my, my favorite movie.
2: Seinfeld quotes is when George is like, and I say this with an unblemished record of staunch <laughs> heterosexuality. <laughs>
1: yes, that's um, great. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. yeah. Do we have any questions? Uh, what, what questions? Got, do you guys have?
2: I got
3: some questions, and um, okay. yeah, let me, let me just fire these off. Okay. So it seems to me, and this kind of can be hand in hand with anybody that has is trying to get down on a younger person's level. Um, it comes along with counselors sometimes, but does it seem to you guys like Herrera kind of has a crush on O'Brien? <laughs> I mean, in those scenes, and if you if you want to talk about that or anything else, I'm here. And just his his tenacity to get into O'Brien. It seems like he's trying to get into him in another way, to me. Um, so that's
2: one question. Uh I here, never picked up on um, we. No, just, I never
3: picked up on that at all. To um, thing at,
2: just to take one thing at a time. I never once thought that, but I, now that. I still don't think he has a crush on him, but now that you're bringing it up, it does. It does make me wonder, like, what exactly is like his investment in this one inmate? That's the thing. Do is are we just everybody else that comes through? Right. What does he see in Mick? Right. Are we just
3: seeing how he treats everyone, just for the sake of brevity, in Mick alone, or is he really putting special attention into him to try and get? something back. I don't know. It just seemed a little bit, a little bit, uh, crushy, you know?
2: I kind of (laughs) want to say that, that in a way that it might be what the, the former of what you said is, is that like, we're just getting a sense of like how he approaches new people in the, in the, you know, just because, I mean, the way that he does like try to get through to Mick and like, give him like a healthier outlet, you know? Yeah. He's really like, I mean prison systems should by all means have more people like that you know oh man his, his everything
3: he says from the time that Mick is talking to him one on one is that's academy award material absolutely but to bring to bring another perspective in I think he wants to bone him I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's got an ulterior motive uh okay moving on so I don't know if you noticed this, John, um, but when Horace comes up with the plan to use corrosive acid and burn a hole through the fence. Yep. Well, you see him, you know, set it up and then, oh, my ankle. And then he, Wagner, the other guard in in the bug, gets him pushing, keeps him pushing. And he does the one side of the fence or whatever. But then later... When they're breaking out, they kick through two fences. Yep, yep. So definitely. how how did he have time to do that other fence? You know, we're not supposed to think about it too much, but figured I should point it out. Um, same,
2: same thought. Had the same thought.
3: Yeah. Okay. And along with just continuity of, of of good planning, whose idea was it to put Paco in Viking cell? Seriously, we know that Vikings got it out for O'Brien and that we see there's other empty cells through the movie. And, and, and the one dude that the war, the warden and the counselor also know, you know, should not be in their facility. Marino is put in the fucking bad boy Viking cell so that they can, I don't know, just talk about, Oh yeah, how
2: we shouldn't do anything to O'Brien. Give me a break. <laughs> You know. Yeah, that's a. I mean, the thing is, I don't really know if we do see like any. Like, I didn't notice any other empty there, cells. So there, there just... is,
3: there is. Think about it. Think about it for a second. Tweety kills that fucking kid. Well, his <laughs> right. his cell's empty. I believe that. Um. uh what's the dude's name that's selling that's that's hustling the cigarettes? I think you see in oh. his cell at one point, and there's an empty bunk. I, yep, I mean, the, the Polish guy. There's anywhere else you can put him aside from the one dude who absolutely hates him. That seems like a good idea. <laughs> um, very good, very good point. I, I'll, I'll, I'll agree. Yeah. Okay. How about this one? Uh, d- didn't they know from from his past history to just not put Horowitz anywhere where there's chemicals? I mean, he burned through
2: the fucking fence. You know. So. That was one of my, that was one of mine. It just, but not just with Horowitz, but in general, like the, the freedom that these prisoners yeah. have. Just like, I mean, it's cool. just like,
3: give him an electronic that he's not going to rig up as a bomb, you know?
2: The fuck? Yeah. And, and I mean, like, if you think about it, like they're all able to just basically wander all over this campus. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, there's like, I, there was probably at least 300 different weapons in that shop. No, that you sh- can-
3: no shit. Well, now, but yeah, what you said about them just free free reign of the campus. That's another thing i might questionable. Herrera, going into the final act, he goes, gentlemen, here comes the night. And they shut down the lights. No one's in their cell. You know, they're just wandering around <laughs> in the dark. Like, what is the point of lights out? if they just have free roam whenever they want, they have doors that don't lock. So what the fuck? Um, yeah, and into the weapons, when Wagner comes and shakes down the, their O'Brien and Horowitz's cell and he gets mousetrapped in the hand, uh, O'Brien has a, a comb in his back pocket. He, he frisks him. You see him frisk him. doesn't even check out the comb. How's he know he didn't sharpen that fucking thing into a a shiv? (laughs) I mean, it's like one of those cones with a handle, you know? Yeah. That's like – You
2: see it earlier in the movie too. Yeah, shiv material.
3: Um, Why is O'Brien double-handing that like 12-inch pipe? You know, that's like swinging a hammer with two hands or something. It's (laughs) kind of stupid. Um, And then here – this is what I wanted to point out to you. This is my last question – and this is what I want to point out to you, John, because I know you'll rewatch it in that final scene um, at right after the, you know, ice pick to the concrete and everybody's OK. Break it up, gentlemen, kind of thing against the fence that everybody's locked behind all the guards. But on the side of the, the inmates, there's like four elderly gentlemen like in their 40s just standing there. <laughs> Next time you watch it, check it out. They're on this side of the fence where the prisoners are. What are they doing there? Why aren't they helping? Who are they? You know? I mean, these are questions you shouldn't ask. And this is a groundbreaking movie. But little things I noticed.
2: Yeah, no, that's great. I I did not notice that. I think maybe I just always kind of was so distracted by the fact that like the other prison guards that we have come to know are on the other side of the fence, you know? Uh, Yeah, well, and I suppose if I was to suspend my disbelief, I I could see a 16 to
3: 17 year old fat, you know, 250 plus balding man as a, you know, just an unfortunate adolescent. But they, <laughs> he has a suspicious look like a 45-year-old guardsman or something.
2: Definitely, definitely going to check this out. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah, I don't that's remember I any of that either. That's all I got. All right. Right on. Um, Adam?
1: So the main question I had was in reference to that last scene, too. And I think, you know, Brandon's kind of getting at it as far as he's um things that are just kind of being, suspension of disbelief i'm being
3: pedantic about it i mean it's like yeah well and that's minor. the point
1: of the question no that's that's the whole point of this section is to be dan- pedantic so don't worry you're doing exactly what needs to be done um and i'm going to continue with that is why aren't any of these people getting immediate medical con- uh <laughs> <laughs> attention right
3: that's a good question.
1: like well, Brian's not gonna just go back to his cell. he's not just gonna saunter back. he has wounds he has knife wounds he has puncture wounds in his body. he needs to go to a medic. he's gonna bleed to death <laughs> <laughs> He's not just gonna go back back and go to sleep right so. yeah I mean
2: do we do we nec- I mean I guess yeah, they do kind of like hint at the fact that he does just go back to his cell and they leave him alone but do we we don't necessarily know that like Mr. Daniels doesn't stop by there in like a few minutes and be like, "Yo, I'll
3: tell that's, you, that's right. I'll tell you who definitely stops by O'Brien's so. <laughs> cell."
1: You know, he's a, he's well, a little. Well, he can't because he's laid out.
3: No, 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 no. he can, gets he, fucked up. I know, but he comes back around. He's concussed, so that is going to be his excuse for just laying laying the. Laying the long the long hard one yeah. right on O'Brien. You know
2: what? There's there's always an opportunity for a sequel. <laughs> um, bad
3: Bad Man,
2: Bad Man, just one. Yeah. Batter badder boys. Yeah. <laughs> bad boys, badder men. That's right. Um <laughs> all right. I've John, got a few. John. My first one okay. is I'm very confident in this one. This is just more just like ridiculous to me. At the very beginning of the movie. You know, O'Brien smashes the window and steals the purse. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. The lady says, "Stop him! He's got my purse." I get that. She's in a. She's not being held up anymore. She's in a position to be like, "Hey, get my purse back! I care about my purse." Right. Fine. That's fine. Wouldn't be my first thing on my mind. I think I'd just be happy to be alive. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> I'll let that one slide. What I won't let slide. What aging man waiting to get into a movie is going to chase down a purse snatcher as a good samaritan follow them into a dark alley to retrieve <laughs> somebody's purse there is not a, a a wake of life where that would happen yeah that's, good. that's a good question this this yeah someone says stop him Maybe, maybe some roided out MMA guy would like, you know, step in front of him and tackle the dude. Maybe. But, you know, a, a 55 to 60 year old man waiting to get into a movie wearing a, a trench coat is not going to start mm-hmm. running down <laughs> Grand Avenue and and follow the culprit into a dark alley. Right.
1: That is,
2: that is just – there is no chance that that would happen. That's bad writing.
1: Utter, utterly ludicrous, yes. Maybe he yes.
2: was trying to just pull
3: some Death Wish shit, you know? He saw, maybe. saw Bronson and he just thought, this could be me. I don't have a gun. I just have this menacing trench coat, but <laughs> I can pull this off.
2: Yeah, I mean, emphasis on the maybe. There is no way, dude. No, there's this, no
3: fucking this is way. Just
2: a, this is a goof, a writing room goof. Um, they could have, they could have had a number of, of, things happen in that first scene that, that didn't involve something so unrealistic. Um, that, that I, rather than questionable, I could almost put this in the bad category. I don't know why it didn't, but, um, so yeah, that's, that's one thing. Another questionable for me is, you know, I get it, but I also don't necessarily buy like the good girl dating the bad guy thing in this um yeah because i know it happens you know and you know maybe maybe she finds some you know maybe it turns her on a little bit whatever that he's like a bad boy or whatever but like she's clearly like so not about what he does you know and it's just i don't know like they they go into great detail that he it's not like he like was good and then like fell in with the wrong crowd while they were dating, you know like this girl is like totally like Norman Corman, like she's not into any bad shit, and for some reason she's like in love with Mick O'Brien like I don't know if I buy that I'm curious what you guys think about that yeah, I mean
1: there is the there is the you know the the time old tale of the bad uh you know the bad boy being attractive to the good girl it is a thing. Yeah. Well, so
3: I, I, I I'm gonna be the middle the middle ground here, and that I can definitely buy what you're what you're selling, Adam, about bad boy. I see it a lot. But the, it's a trope. You know, it's a trope but the for severity sure. of his badness is pretty right, fucking yeah. extreme.
2: That's I mean, kind of what I'm saying. It's like, you know, like right. the dude, the dude's not like smoking some pot or like you know, breaking some windows. Like, this dude is like cracking people's skulls open to get money. Yeah. You he's know? he's yeah, a hardened criminal. I, <laughs> I, I, I come
3: back to his just, okay, here's the next step. We get guns and we fucking rob these hardcore, you know, adolescent <laughs> drug dealers. That right. just to jump. I mean, that's like a leap from one thing to the next. Stepping totally. up your game immediately. She's gonna be in with that crowd. I don't know if I buy it either. It's <laughs>
1: true. Yeah, that's, You make a that's, fine that's point. One.
3: You know, I will say that I will say this, and I've been putting this together this entire time. You said you have watched this movie ever since you were a kid, basically. It's been with you your whole life. It tracks yeah. that this movie was your scare straight. This kept you going on the 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 right way because you so, this is your fucking at home <laughs> dare lesson for sure,
2: dude. They kept you straight. <laughs> I mean, hey, I mean, hey. You know, I I'm not gonna lie. I probably watched this within minutes of also watching like Renegade and Walker Texas Ranger. So I don't know if I was getting kind of like a you know a little <laughs> bit of everything around the time. But yeah, but you're
1: you're you're. you're- you were definitely leaning into maybe some proto-maga by watching that stuff. <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> Great, that was a solid discussion, gentlemen. Let's move on to our awards and categories section of the podcast, starting at the top with quotes. Everybody, take
0: that! This facility runs on a point system.
1: Points you get points for doing good and points for screwing up. Doing good is no trouble,
3: copying a positive attitude, while screwing up is fighting, running for the fence, and copying a shit attitude just like you're doing right now. Yeah. I killed your little brother, Marino. But you just remember,
2: he's dead
3: because you weren't looking out for him. Go ahead and give me your quotes, guys.
2: I've got two, okay? I've got two. Yeah. One Paco Marino saying adios, douchebag. Douchebag. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. a good one. Love yeah. It. Also, one of my favorite lines in any movie was after Mick gets spit on coming in, I love when Horowitz pops his head down and says, So, how do you like it so far? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's great.
2: Uh yeah, I got I got a couple.
3: Um I Horowitz is just he's he's a he's a He's a man of many words. Um, but just how he paints the the grimness in kind of a comical way. Uh, his line when, when right in that same scene, the how do you like it so far scene where he says, last guy that shared the cell with me killed himself by drinking a half gallon of disinfectant. He liked the place so much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Just,
3: yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, another Horowitz one that was pretty good. Um Goes back to that whole shit talking thing you were talking about with, you know, racial epithets and things like that being like a right. thing amongst friends. When he when he goes, O'Brien, oh, fucking miracle someone you know can write when he's handing out the mail. Yeah. And then the, <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. And then the and then the last one that I have is is from O'Brien. I thought it was just it was really biting. It was a really good remark. It said, uh, it's when he's talking to Marino. And he goes, yeah, I killed your little brother, Marino. Just remember, he's dead because you weren't looking out for him. I have that
2: on mine too, but I didn't say it because I just thought it was way, way more of just like a... Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing quote. Love yeah,
3: that. I mean, there's there's nothing like novel about it in the a cheeky sense of quotes. But as far as just some cold ass shit to say to somebody, that, that one... Uh, that one's a winner, Granddaddy. Yeah. Love it. What about yeah, you? Yeah, that man? was
1: basically that was basically the one I had. Was that last one that you said?
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, okay, so here we go into our award section. The Derek Zoolander Award for the biggest idiot in the movie. Uh, I mean, I pretty much had everybody except Horowitz.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I said so. I, I said Carl because the definition of Rube is like a like an inexperienced like person. Yes. And so I said his friend Carl, who has absolutely no business being a part of this gang shit. Because at least Mick right. can hold well, his own, you know?
1: I agree. And, you know, the funny thing is I feel like talking about typecasting people, I feel like that's kind of what Alan Ruck almost kind of plays. is yep. kind of like this hapless doof because making the Chicago connection again, he's, you know, he's in Ferris Bueller and yep. he's just like this wet blanket. <laughs> kind of goob in, in that movie. Yeah, so, he's, he's I mean he's great. I love his character, but you know,
3: uh, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna steer in a different direction. I said Viking uh, Clancy Brown's character. Not that he doesn't have street smarts, but he's just willing to jump into anything, especially if it, it happens to be a trap in it for him. Yeah, I mean that's pretty fucking dumb. You know, to just grab this radio. Yeah, the first thing I'm going to do, put it right up next to my head. (laughs) Uh,
2: Whatever. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, like, and and you're going to tell me that when when, uh, Mick goes into his cell after getting the cans of soda, they're watching him do that. Yeah. They're watching him get the soda cans. (laughs) Like, you're going to tell me that he's just kind of like, mysteriously hiding out in his cell, just staring at the floor. Right. You're going to tell me you're going to go right up to him and tap him on the shoulder and be like, Hey, real slow, real slow. Yeah. 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 You're going to say, you mean to tell me you're not walking right into a street fight. Right.
1: Um, He's just in the dark slamming RC colas like you do.
2: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Lots of them. He's just taking a soda break. (laughs) They weren't even RCs. That's part of the trivia. I know they were generic, but yeah. yeah. Fuck. Anyway,
1: okay Uh, yeah moving on the 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 joseph and the technicolor dream code award for the best uh wardrobe and makeup uh i i don't know i had i had viking
2: me too viking's hair and his warrior style vests that he wears throughout the movie
3: Mm. yeah yeah you know i don't want to sound queer or nothing again but (laughs) damn daniel daniels is looking sweet
1: you guys notice
3: uh uh his yeah, of his name uh Jim Moody. Man, he has got he is just he's wearing that fucking caldie sack down to sideburns and the muscle shirts, oof. Yeah, heart throb, what a hunk. He could have <laughs> easily guess. been slid right into like a shaft movie Been oh yeah just fine.
1: Absolutely just had okay a
2: similar thought.
3: Um <laughs> The Cosmo
1: Kramer Award for the most likely to appear in a Seinfeld episode, I think we might be all in agreement here, but obviously Renny Santoni because he played poppy, but maybe we have some alternates that aren't so on the nose. Uh, Do you want to give an example?
3: Yeah, yeah. Horowitz. Uh Jerry or Kramer's illegitimate child.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I just I said Horowitz as just a dude that fixes radios. Yeah, it's good too. Adam, I literally have it in my notes. I said I said Horowitz and also quite literally Ramon Herrera as Poppy. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh okay. And then finally the Danny Trejo Award for the character most likely to have a spinoff. What did you guys have for that?
2: Go ahead, John. I uh I said also Ramon Herrera, Rennie Santoni's character, as a as a prison guard and counselor. I think that would uh make a a very solid you know dramatic sp- spin-off.
3: Yeah. Uh nothing
2: yeah, like the movie.
3: Yeah, but right. Um I had two and depends on which way you want to go. So if you wanted to go like um Law and Order, SVU style gripping drama kind of shit, definitely Herrera. I put Herrera down for that daytime drama that you need. You know, when you're unemployed um, and you're just sitting around slamming fucking Mountain Dew, watching daytime (laughs) TV, that's the Herrera flick. But then if you want to go more Saved by the Bell, fun after school program, Horowitz. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, he was Screech before Screech was Screech. He's Bart Simpson. He's a live action (laughs) Bart Simpson. He's the mischief maker. (laughs) He totally is. Uh, What do you got, Big Dog?
1: Uh, I mean, I pretty much was gonna say Horowitz. I didn't really have anybody specifically, but I, I, I think Horowitz would be a good spinoff.
2: Mm-hmm. It would have to so. be a comedy, though. Like, oh yeah, hundred percent. You can't have a spinoff about him getting into like shit where he fire people. It would have to be some type of like, <laughs> spinoff that showcases his like hilarious wit. Yeah, you know?
3: or maybe they go the Ed Grimley approach and take the live. Horwitz and make a cartoon out of him that way they can more comedically lightheartedly pass off his mischief like a, like a Dennis the menace (laughs) or like an uncle fester or something, you know, like, Oh yeah, he's doing these things that actually he just firebombed a bowling alley, but we can make it funny. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you could make it totally like a Warner Brothers, Wile E. Coyote Roadrunner <laughs> <laughs> type of scenario. Tom
3: and Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: good. Uh, I like that. I like that swerve. That's pretty good. Okay. So, body count. Man, I saw some kind of not, didn't seem right numbers for this. I, I counted I, six total. Yeah.
2: I got. I counted six and seven. If you count Tweety, the the off screen. Oh yeah. Everything yeah. I read on the internet was so far off that I didn't even pay attention to it. Who who's, the, no, who's, who's like it? one of them was two? Yeah. Yeah. It's like two are you kidding me.
3: Let me let me think, then. Who who's the seven? Because I didn't even think about body count. So there's there's homie that gets with the sunglasses on at night. Carl. Oh, Carl is one two. Um, Tweety, like you said, that's three. The kid that gets thrown off the balcony.
2: Yep. Who the, other, who the other? Paco's three. brother. Oh, you're right. Paco's brother. Yeah. There's uh, there's
1: there's the Paco's buddy that when they they're raping Ali Sheedy, he gets yep. killed he gets, by the cops. Oh, that's he right. Gets
2: taken out. Damn. Yep. The,
3: yeah, that was just kind of thrown <laughs> in there. Just, well, your, your your homie just got the way the away. way that he
2: bleeds on her leg is so so crazy. So okay, so that's six, right? So who's the seventh? So no, I got I've got seven here. So let me just go through them. So I've got Carl, Latino guy from Paco's crew that gets blown away during the first thing. When Carl gets blown away, also,
0: yeah, Um, Paco's
2: brother. So that's three. I've got Terrell. That's four. Terrell's the kid that gets thrown off the balcony. Okay. Um, Then there's there's the when when Paco's gang does the drive by, they kill the black gang member. So that's five. Then. The you know the other Latino guy from Paco's crew that gets killed while they're raping. Okay. So that's that's six, and then Tweety. You could say six and then seven if you count Tweety's off-screen death.
3: Yeah, I think yeah. we can count that because yeah, so yeah. we got seven. We got right. seven. Gotcha.
1: There you go. That's very satisfying. I don't understand Yeah, Two. Who the fuck off with that? Come on. Yeah. Did you even watch the movie, <laughs> <laughs> asshole? <It was> clearly <laughs> amateur <laughs>
2: shit. Maybe they're just talking about prison.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So now we're at the Wiki Wormhole section of the
2: podcast. John, go ahead, take it away. All righty. I've got Sean Penn's mom, a dentist, wouldn't let him file down or crack his own teeth for the role. Yeah. Love that. Um, This is uh, multiple, multiple real life reformatory supervisors and inmates in the movie as extras, which I found interesting. Um, uh, Sean, this is a really good one. Sean Penn encouraged them to spit and throw things at him as he, you know, went, walked into the prison. And then on the contrary, Isai Morales insisted that they all brush their teeth and use mouthwash. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's
2: so we got, we got, we got Paco Moreno being a little prima Donna over here. Um, And then just this, this well-written character Horowitz basically gets even with everybody who hurts him. So they have the bowling alley, you know, incident that landed him there in the first place. He gets even with Viking twice. First, he dumps the garbage on him and then he blows the radio up in his face. And then finally, uh, with the prison guard that, uh, that he, you know, that beats him up when he trips over the barbed wire, when they make their escape, he, uh, gets him with the, the mousetrap. So yeah. there's four instances, one of them off screen, where Horowitz gets even with anybody that, that fucks with him. All
3: comedic. See, this is great fodder for a good cartoon.
2: <laughs> Can't uh, disagree on that one.
3: So I I just have one thing that I wanted to point out. Um, there is tons of interesting tidbits about this movie, but the one that I wanted to point out, um, this little bit that I've, I uh, found, it says... To prepare for his lead role as Mick O'Brien, actor Sean Penn let his hair grow long, had a tattoo inked on his arm. I don't know if that means they, they drew it on or he they, they tattooed him um, and dressed in street gang garb. He and Rick Rosenthal also went out riding with the Chicago Police Department gang squad unit. On the second night, Penn was mistaken for a real criminal and was assaulted by one of the officers. You know, so uh yeah that's like pretty he, nuts it sounds like he went pretty all in like method acting style to prepare for this so i mean for being so young as he was to have that idea of sort of really living the character right and cool. he, he
2: would go on to like have like really really cinematic like performance based roles and this is i think this is like the first because you know by all means like piccoli is an incredible role and like he's famous for it but i mean Case in point, he's really not famous for this role as Mick O'Brien, but it's also like one of one of his best performances hands down. So we
1: got to come up with an. So we, we got to come up with iconography. We got to rate it, and then we have to decide where this is on the midnight okay. clock.
2: Well, I'm gonna just go for the gold here, and I'm gonna give this one five out of five back, combs. back okay. pocket combs. Back pocket combs. All right. All right.
3: Uh, I, I was, it-
2: I, was uh, I was gonna say. Uh,
3: out of five, rigged radio. I'm, I'm
2: feeling, I'm feeling excluded here. No, like neither one. of you are down with the back pocket comb. Well, I haven't. I, thought, heard, I haven't thought that Penn's back pocket comb was hilarious.
3: I haven't heard what Mexican Dad has. What do you got?
1: Well, I was going to be real crass and say, out of five kids thrown off of a, <laughs> of a balcony.
3: <laughs> I, want,
2: I want to see that drawn out on a rating system. Like, how do you even show <laughs> that, Adam? That kind of that, just, that kind of takes like that kind of takes uh pull from what I said in the last episode, where what was it, dead babies? Oh yeah, for session nine. Yeah, all
3: yeah. right. Well, let's yeah. let's go. It's John's movie. He he obviously has got a little more skin in the game. He's you know sure from
2: Chicago. I'm obviously, most, I'm obviously the most butthurt about my reaction to the back pocket comb, So yeah, let's <laughs> throw, let's throw me a freebie here and say out of out of back pocket combs. Wait. Just to, I, I already forgot. Like what was you guys' rating? Mine's five out of five back, back pocket. So you
1: give this a perfect score. Well, I'm telling you, I mean, I understand, but I'm telling you, it's early on, John. So just really, really think about your perfect scores. But we'll give you this one. Out of five per, five back pocket combs, you give this five. Go ahead, Brandon.
3: Um, yeah, for that very reason of not reserving the right of having a perfect score. I'm going to say a hard four back pocket combs. I mean, I, I it's teetering onto four and a half. Break that shit in half and make a sharp little shiv, you know, like he should have done, <laughs> god damn it. Uh, it's real good. I really don't have any complaints about it, but I'm just hard pressed you know, to give that perfect score.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, Adam, what about you? Yeah, because
1: this is my first time seeing it, and because I, I again it's early on, I want to I want to be judicious about the perfect scores. I always feel like on this podcast, I've been the one that's the most liberal with giving high scores. So I'm going to dial it back with this one. I'm going to say three and a half going into four.
3: Mm, so you you one. got a sharp ass back
2: pocket shiv too. You know what? You? At, in defense of the perfect score, I'm just going to throw throw a, a very cheesy reference here. Occasionally, you know, some new converge record will get a, t- a score of ten in the decibel in the decibel record. So, you know, I, 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 I'm I'm entitled at some point. <laughs> yeah, this is this is, one of, this is one of my favorite movies, and I'm, I'm surprised that it didn't win an Oscar. I'm not honestly. disagreeing
3: with you. This movie, I mean, of all the of all the questions, I think I had the most questions of both of you. There, it's minutiae. I mean, it's just for the sake of having something. This is an excellent film, yeah. You know, it's it's timeless. Um, it's got a good message, it's got good grit. Yeah, it's all there, right?
1: No, I I don't disagree. And so, as far as where this is on a midnight clock, I know you were saying because of the kind of grittiness and brutality of this, this is like a, a like kind of a um, almost after midnight ish. I disagree. That's what I was gonna say. I, I so I said something about that on the top. I think because this is so much trying to be a, this dramatic, almost Oscar worthy movie, and it didn't quite achieve it. I don't think this is really like a midnight movie. I think this is definitely more like an eleven o'clock for sure. uh But I don't think this is this is necessarily a midnight movie. I think it's it's. It's very close and it has its roots in it like I said but I I, I give it an 11 o'clock
3: yeah yeah and so. now I, I want to walk back what we were talking about earlier about where it falls where it falls in actuality and where it should fall due to its content are totally different I totally agree sure in fact, I yeah. believe when I first saw this it was on TBS like a cable yeah. channel you know it's to me it's right in the camp at 10 o'clock. Kids go to bed by nine, you watch this real-ass movie before you go to work tomorrow, and you think about it all day as an adult. That's where I think that it was probably slotted on cable. Um, But considering how uh, just hardcore the content is, it shouldn't be. It should be further along the line. But I agree. 10, 11 o'clock. I'm going to say 10 o'clock.
2: I'm going to go ahead and give an inexperienced rebuttal to this. Okay. And I'm, okay. Going, to say, I'm going to say 1 a.m. And the reason right. and the reason is because this is exactly the type of movie that I would watch at 1 a.m.
3: Okay. So you from know, your, maybe, from maybe your maybe personal. I sleep,
2: maybe I just don't feel like going to bed yet. 1 a.m. is when I'm watching this. Yeah. Gotcha. Screw work the All next right. day. I'm going to be bummed out. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Alright, well, there we go. We've wrapped it up, my friends, and so we're going to uh yeah, we're gonna close it out here. Okay. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for our intro music. Our producer for tonight is Shentral Maladuke. Thank you, Shentral, for uh overseeing the production of this. And uh, we've got our Band of the Week, which is going to be Feet Aside. I picked this one. It's a band from Fort Wayne. up and Upstart young death metal guys, so check it out. I think they're pretty good. Um, and so for next week, we're going to introduce our first of our monthly guests to the podcast. And it's going to be Orion Peter from the band Ilsa. They know we're on track so he's going to be uh discussing a movie with us next week more than likely it's going to be his band's namesake movie um i think that's what we're going to talk about but we'll see things could change but we're definitely going to have orion on and that's going to be fun because we're going to try and have guests basically every month now
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so stay tuned for that okay uh, for Brandon Hayden and John Hoffman, I am Adam Walker, and we're gonna see you next week, my friend. Oh,
3: I'll see Goodbye. You. I'll see you in your dreams,
1: my <laughs> We're the dream. Oh, whoops. <laughs> Way off on that one. Okay. <laughs> The passed on the kill to fish for the mildew to bring his